0: Morning. Hey, are you ready to dig into the word? All right. All right, bless the Lord. Hey, if you're uh, new joining us this morning, maybe watching online, uh, we're into part five of a series. uh, As you can see in the little promo that we had there, it's called Creed. And we are uh, working through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, And and as we uh, have looked at over the last bunch of weeks, we have been uh, looking to understand, a, a creed is a statement of what we believe. Uh, and this uh, Apostles' Creed that comes down to us from, uh, you, you know, it's literally the Apostles' teaching. It was from the earliest of the Christian faith, passed along to us over the generations. It speaks to what are the core essential things that we ought to be holding on to with both hands as believers, as followers of Christ. And, uh, you, you know, In the Word, it's got a lot to say about what we believe. It's got a lot to say about our doctrine. Uh, Doctrine is just another word for the beliefs that we hold, the teachings that we hold to. Uh, This week, I want to look at 1 Timothy 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Notice in verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Our our doctrine, what we believe, what we say we believe, and our lives, uh, those two areas uh, intermingle and they should reflect each other. Uh, Our lives should reflect what we believe and what we believe should be reflected in our life. And uh, in our uh, small groups, because we've made this a a, a spiritual focus season for us, we've been going through uh, our beloved Pastor Walt's book, Living the Apostles' Creed. And so it's just a treasure trove diving deep on all of these topics that we look at here. And so just for anybody who, uh, for whatever reason, uh, you missed God's will and you're not in a growth group, I'm just kidding, that was a joke. Sort of, no, (laughs) Uh, you can still get the book. And you can follow along because each week we'll be working through the book and uh, or we'll be, you know, hitting the topic that the book covers. And then you could almost work it devotionally as you go through over the week here. So when we look at the Apostles' Creed, there's 12 uh, different statements, uh, they're called articles, 12 different articles uh, that, that again, represent just a treasure trove of scriptural truth, foundational understanding for us. Uh, the first one, when we kicked off, we looked at, I uh, believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, God is creator, uh, and then the articles two through seven all specifically speak about Jesus Christ and so uh, we're on article 5 so we're still uh, boring down looking at uh, the Lord Jesus Christ last week we looked at the fact that he suffered under Pontius Pilate he was crucified died and was buried now this week, it's really kind of a part two uh, to that message from last week. Uh, w- normally during Passion Week, Resurrection Season, we have Good Good Friday and we have Resurrection Sunday morning. It's all kind of rolled in, you know, to uh, you, you know one one season there. Uh, but there's there's so much that we want to look at and, and address. Uh, that's laid out for us here in the Apostles' Creed, that last week as we looked at the cross, this week we're going to be looking at the resurrection. Now, that is uh, usually uh, uh, an Easter Sunday, a Resurrection Sunday message that's, you know, kind of a a shout, proclaim, get excited, and I sure hope that we're excited, and I sure hope that we get excited over it. But I want to do uh, this morning uh, as more of a teaching than a preaching, and uh, we're going to look at the resurrection in light of what happened between the cross and the resurrection. You know, the ancient creed of the church, uh, uh, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. But when we go through and we look at some of the detail of what happened, we see after the cross, after he died, after he was buried, he descended into hell. And the third day, he rose again from the dead. So that's what we're going to dig on into. So yeah, we usually don't preach on hell on Resurrection Sunday morning, right? A lot of times we're, we're focusing on the resurrection. But this is something that we do need to address, we need to look at. And I would say in our modern culture especially, we need to make sure that some things are really clear in our understanding. And so last week I, I looked at what, what I called creed certainties. Creed truths, things that are certain. And I want to look at some more this week in light of this portion that we're looking at. So again, our statement this week, the article this week, he descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's look at Creed certainty number one. Hell is not a metaphor, but in fact, it is a real place. Amen. Amen. That's not something that's pleasant to talk about. It is something that is uh, being more and more moved away from in our postmodern world you know, uh, to to say that hell is not real, to say it's just metaphorical. But when we look at what Jesus says, when we look at what the apostles say, when we look very clearly at the word of God, uh, hell is not being referred to as a metaphor, it is being referred to as a real place and it's intricate to the understanding of the gospel message. So let's let's unpack this a little bit. What do we mean by hell? Well, uh, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, uh, the word that we see is the word sheol. And uh, it's basically the place where the departed dead go. Uh, We see in the New Testament, there's a little more revelation, there's a little more understanding. And actually, just to, to comment there, there's tons of areas in scripture As God unfolds, as God uh, continues to reveal certain topics, certain understandings, we see that in the Old Testament, they had a limited picture, and then God uh, unfolds and makes things clearer and clearer as things go by. Like, for instance, the whole idea of the Gentile church, that was a mystery hidden in Christ. That was, although it was there in seed form, we look back on it and we say, oh yeah, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right. I see it there, and oh, here's another reference to the whole world being touched because of Jesus and and people being saved, but it was this thing that was hidden until it was unfolded in the New Testament. And so this Old Testament understanding uh, of hell is just simply Sheol, uh, where the departed dead go. In the New Testament, there's two main words. The first one is Hades. Uh, That's the generic term for the abode of the dead. Uh, And again, the understanding scripturally, uh, at this time, when Christ walked the earth, the intermediary place between death, resurrection, and judgment. Hades was uh, referenced in the Bible as the place for departed spirits. It was referenced as the grave, uh, and also as the place where the wicked dead are punished. So that's the one word in Greek in the New Testament. The second word, giena, uh, which uh, is whenever this is referenced, it's entirely looked at in a very, uh, it's, it's a hellfire brimstone kind of picture when making reference to hell. Uh, in Israel, there was a place called the Valley of Hinnom, and this valley became a place that was known for just horrible stuff. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the pagan god Moloch was worshipped uh, in, in this valley where children were sacrificed. So just really u- ugly, demonic stuff was going on. Then it was a place where they would take the dead and burn the bodies. So it literally became <clears throat> a place where the fire didn't go out, where the worm didn't die. These are all pictures that we get. And then uh, by the time we get to the time of Jesus, it was a, a garbage dump. So uh, all of this worked very uh, nicely, if we could say it that way, to portray this picture uh, of, you know, the eternal state of the lost. So we have these pictures scripturally of what hell is. Now, again, during the time of Jesus, the understanding of of Hades was that it really had two compartments, two areas. And church, we got to realize until Jesus rose from the dead, No human being entered heaven. No human being could be in God's presence for eternity. And so uh, there was this understanding that's laid out in Scripture that that, uh, the Sheol, Hades, uh, that there was a place for the righteous dead where they would be awaiting the promise of the Messiah. And then there would be the place where the wicked dead would be punished. And again, let's pick up, let's look at Luke 16, and we'll see this laid out. 16 verses 19 uh, through 26. It says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now again, this is a picture of one of these two compartments. It was called Abraham's side, uh, um, King James, Abraham's bosom, uh, called paradise. This was all this abode of the righteous dead. It said that uh, also the rich man died and was buried. In verse 23, in Hades... Where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So we have this picture, there is no entrance into heaven yet, but there's these, these two separate areas. Now understand, Jesus would talk in parables, and Jesus would tell stories. I don't know that Lazarus and the rich man, they might have been real people, but how many understand the term historical fiction, right? The history is real and accurate, and you're telling a story in the context of this real history. That's what Jesus is doing here. Hell is a real place. It's a real abode. So we, we need to start uh, in, in our uh, living the Apostles' Creed. We need to start with this understanding and, and be aware of what God has to say uh, about this area, about this topic. Especially in light of the fact that there are so many, there are preachers. You know, I think back to this verse in Timothy that we opened up with. You know, we, we, we need to give care when we speak the word. You know, those that preach, those that teach, really each of us speaking the word to each other, we need to be sober in what we're saying and we wanna uh, be careful of our doctrine and of our lifestyle, because if we are, it'll save us and it'll save those that hear, those that are influenced by what we say here. So in a world that wants to explain hell away, why would the world want to do that? Well, it, it, it waters down the gospel. It, it, it waters down the expectations. It, it waters down the, the choices that are set before us. But how many know, you, you know, from God's perspective, it said this last week, it's not about how politically correct can we be. It's about how much can we in love proclaim the truth, that God loves us and that there is a heaven to gain and there's forgiveness for our sins. And Jesus did this for us. You know, I've heard over the years people would say, how can a loving God send people to hell? But we know even in what we already looked at here in these last couple of weeks, that's that's not what's going on here. People are on their way to hell and a loving God sent out a rescue to us in Jesus Christ so that none of us have to be there. Amen? Big big difference between those two. That's not just semantics. That's, that, that's the picture here. And, and so what we see, God, God lays out in Scripture. I'm sorry, give me a... Oh yeah. Why, why is there a hell? Hell doesn't exist for humanity. Hell exists for the devil and his angels, it says in Scripture. But with sin mingled into the human race... God lets us know, see God reveals who he is to us in the Bible. That that's the starting point. Not for us to say, I think I'll try to decide who God is. Right? We can't do that. And so so God reveals it in the word of God. And he says, "I am perfectly righteous, perfectly just, and perfectly holy." And so God can't fellowship with sin. But God also says, "But wait, those three attributes, there's these three as well. I am perfectly loving." Perfectly gracious and perfectly merciful. And so God's righteousness, holiness, and justice demands that our sin be punished. But because we can't reconcile ourselves back to God, amen, that God says, I will send my son to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself so that you can escape that road that you're going down and you can be rescued and reunited with me and spend eternity with me forever. That's God's call, that's, that's his, his encouragement for us. So yes, there is a hell and it's a real place. Creed certainty number two, Jesus' assignment and work continued after He died when He spent three days there in hell. So it's, it's very, very clear in Scripture. Um, people will try to look back and say, well, maybe Jesus didn't actually die. Maybe he fainted on the cross and all these things. It, it makes it very clear, the witness uh, and, and so forth, he died. His physical body was in that tomb for three days. And again, on Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate, you know, uh, his resurrection from the grave. But what went on during those three days? Well, we we, uh, know that he spent those three days down there in Hades. Ephesians 4, 7 to 10, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So we have this picture, yes, he died, his body's in the grave, and then Jesus is down here. What's the work that Jesus is doing there in hell? It's a work of proclamation. Jesus is preaching the first Resurrection Sunday message. He's taking what he declared on the cross and saying, It is finished. And he is speaking to Satan and all of his cohorts. And he is speaking to those righteous dead. And he's saying, This federal headship that Satan robbed from humanity is now broken. That promise that was given back in Genesis where where the father said to the serpent, there's one coming, you're gonna bruise his heel, but he's gonna crush your head. Literally, he's gonna break your headship. The, The legal means that Satan stole in order to be the prince of this age in Christ is now legally broken and Jesus goes in person to personally deliver the message to all of hell. Woo, Man! Does the Lord know how? Man! And then those righteous dead that were awaiting the promise of the Messiah. And it says that he, you know, leads the, you know, the captives, you know, they go free. The prison doors are broken. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For indeed Christ died for sins once for all, the just and righteous for the unjust, and unrighteous, the innocent for the guilty, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he also went and preached to the spirits now in prison. So here's another reference of him there preaching to those spirits now in prison. Who once were disobedient when the great patience of God was waiting in the days of Noah during the building of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, Noah's family, were brought safely through the waters. So how cool to think that that first message of the proclamation of what's been done on the cross and in the resurrection, do you realize, you, you know, it tells us in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they're a brand new creation. Literally, it says there in the Greek for us, uh, uh, it, it's, it's akin to this, a species that never existed before. Man. And can you imagine what that's like? That Jesus, you know, making this proclamation and as he's resurrecting all of these new creations in Christ are, are being paraded out of that place into, to, to go through the gates of heaven. What, what a picture that must have been. You know, it's interesting too. We read in James where it says the demons in hell believe he is the Christ. I never connected the dots on the two, but they heard firsthand from him. They heard firsthand from him right down there. It's like, wow. Incredible, so this was uh, th- this great proclamation of what he did while he was there, and now a brand new creation of born again people was being formed. Colossians 1.18 puts an exclamation point on this, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. That fits right back in with what we read in Ephesians, right? He descended then. To to ascend, to be high above everything. His name is above everything, but He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's His name, it's Him, it's one and the same man above everything. Hallelujah. All right, creed certainty number three, the finished work of Jesus Christ culminates in His resurrection. Now keep in mind, I want to start bringing us back into this idea of living the Apostles' Creed. So so what does knowing and understanding these things. How does this get lived out in our lives? So as we talk about the resurrection, so on the cross, in the grave, risen from the dead, resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, Paul says to the Corinthians, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Of first importance, Man, that we never let go of that, that that, that never becomes just stuff we know in the background, but that becomes lived out, worked out in our daily lives. First Peter 1-3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By the way, that's our memory verse for the week. If you've been following along and taking that challenge to memorize Scripture each week, what a great one to memorize here that uh, that, uh, in His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So church, we know the resurrection confirms that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God. It is the ultimate confirmation. And, and it shows that everything he claimed, everything that he declared, everything that he said was true, that those things in fact are true. So again, kind of weaving a little bit back and forth with our book that we're studying here, Uh, this was something uh, that we'll dig deeper on in our growth groups, but I just want to make sure we we hit it here. Three things the resurrection gives us. Number one, death has no control. So again, talking about living the Apostles' Creed. As Christians, as believers, we ought not be afraid of death, right? Oh, 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 death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It is the number one fear uh, that people say is the, the fear of dying even over spiders, right? The fear of dying. Some, some might say, well, it's a toss-up between the two. I saw one of those cave cricket things this morning, I had just a little time out here. Man, the fact that they jump, you know, I almost like met Jesus on the stairwell trying to get one of those a couple weeks back, and I'm kind of sneaking over it with the shoe. I just, you want to make sure you, you hit it when you aim because you know they jump and you know they're coming after you, right? And sure enough, I just got in a shadow where it saw me and it sprung up toward me and nearly fell down the stairs in the process. So I learned there's a better way. So I saw this one from a distance and I thought, you've got no chance. So I went up, I got the shoe and I just took a running dive and I just, yeah, like shoe almost went through the floor, but I got the cave cricket, amen, amen. But I digress, we're talking about true, on a serious note, people fear death. Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. To die in Christ is to not experience what we spoke about at the beginning here. There is no hell for the believer. There is no torment for the believer. There is no having to give account and try to pay for our sin things that we can't do in and of ourselves, but instead it's just to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And so because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I mean, we got work to do and we have lives to live and we got purposes to unfold. So none of us should be looking to check out any earlier than, than uh, you know, living the, the full life that God has called us to live. But, but that fear needs to no longer be there, it ought not be there for us who hope in Christ, us who know him and have him living in our hearts. Second thing that resurrection gives us, it gives us eternal victory. We have eternal victory. And can I just say, church, I tell you one of one of the things that it would do us well really to examine in our lives is to ask the question am i do i live more in the reality do i live my life more in light of this temporal world around me or do i live my life more in light of there's an eternity that i'm on my way to right because the 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 intense things that continue to go on in our world, the Word of God tells us those things are just going to continue to happen, that they will intensify, that it's going to be hard for human beings to deal with. But if we live in light of the resurrection and what Jesus did on the cross for us, we know that we have an eternal victory. We, we live in this life, we're not supposed to be miserable as we're walking through, but how many know to enjoy, enjoy the world and enjoy nature and everything around us and to live quality lives and love people and, and make a difference with our lives? These are all wonderful things that God has called us to do, but what the Bible tells us to not fall in love with this world, what it's saying is don't love the spirit of this age. Amen? Come on, can you say amen? The spirit of this age where where we get all wrapped up in here and now and, and we start holding on really tight to like stuff and things going on around us and we lose sight of the fact that every one of us, we're pilgrims just passing through. And that we'll have this eternity with the Lord. I heard a, a teacher say recently one of the biggest problems in the body of Christ is they, they've, not the, they've not used their imagination to try to grasp what eternity in heaven is going to be like living with the Lord. Because if we did grasp that, we would let go of the earthly things that we get so tripped up in. You know, we've let, you know, cream cheese commercials with babies spreading cream cheese on bagels, on clouds, which looks like the most boring thing in the universe. We've let that try to dictate to us what heaven is going to be like as the people of God. There, there's, it's, going to be, it's going to be everything that's good about here minus everything that's bad about here multiplied by infinity. Try to get our minds around that. And, and so the job of this life is to be more and more conformed to His image so that we take as many with us as possible. Because He's not willing that one would perish. Can you say amen? amen. So the resurrection uh, tells us that death has no control over us anymore. Uh, that the, the resurrection gives us eternal victory and it gives us eternal hope. When things look hopeless here in the natural, that eternal hope will work in our natural. But again, we go back to there's, there's a bigger picture, a much bigger picture. So as, as we start to um, bring this towards some, some closing application for us, the first place that we start to make application of what Jesus did, dying on the cross and rising from the dead, the first thing that we do we have to become born again. And again, we just read it in Scripture, didn't we? Peter talked about it, the new birth in Christ Jesus. We don't join a religion, uh, we, we don't adhere to a system of beliefs, we become a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. The, the eternal spirit man that's on the inside becomes eternally alive to Christ. You know, we still got this, this flesh to deal with, but the Lord tells us we'll deal with this in future weeks, that even this is going to get fixed up. And every year that goes by, I'm, I'm, I'm getting more and more glad about that one. You know, that this, this, this body is going to need an overhaul. It's actually a, a whole new glorified body that we'll get, not even an overhaul. But John 3, let's look at it, verses 3 to 5. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. So, you know, he's in this conversation with Nicodemus and, and, and Jesus is trying to ex- explain the nature of becoming a follower of Christ. He said, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit. In other words, there's people born in a natural way, but then there needs to be a new birth that happens spiritually. And so, if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, if you're listening at a later time and you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's your step to take today. We talk about this truth of hell, uh, not for it to be a a fear tactic, but for us to understand every one of us has hope in Christ. We, We respond to Him and we become born again, not by becoming good people and earning our way to heaven. Come on, can you say amen? Amen. We can't earn our way to heaven. It's a free gift that we receive by faith, by trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior. So last week, if you were here, I, I spent a little time talking about this idea of many times we can have things in our life that they're true and we'll say they're true, but they're not necessarily real to us in that we've interacted and encountered it in a way where it's being lived out and worked out in our life. And I said there's true versus real. So when we talk about living the Apostles' Creed, man, it it would be really, really good for us, for every believer to go from the truth that hell is real, to have that go from true to real. Why is that? Why, why, why would that be really good for that to move to, man, I get it. I really, really get it. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we should live our lives staring at that, that topic. We should be staring at the Lord. We should be looking up. We should be living in the shadow of the cross and walking in the power of His resurrection. But when we realize the reality of, of, of hell being real, then everything we say about the cross and everything we say about the resurrection becomes so, so much more deeply lived out in our lives. Can you say amen? Amen. amen? I heard a preacher say one time, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. You know, it's one thing to say, yeah, my, my sins were forgiven. It's another thing to say the price that was waiting for me. And, 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 and have as, as, as real an understanding as we can what does it do for our reverence and awe for Almighty God who is perfectly holy when we recognize that this is real, right? And then also, what does it do as we look at the world around us? I see other people. and Remember, the, the, truly, God's, God tells us His heart in Scripture. He's not willing that any should perish. We, we don't want the Great Commission to become a great suggestion. We want it to become a great commandment that we hold on to. And and, and how do we we keep that that way in our heart? The Lord doesn't want us to do things out of obligation or, or duty per se. But when true becomes real and we know that every day people are slipping into eternity And they're slipping into an eternity without christ it's going to melt our hearts it's it's going to cause us to look at that harvest field it's going to cause us to look at that great commission and say i have to be a part of his advance now god doesn't want us to do beyond what he's called us to do but how many know he's all called us to do amen amen Amen. and so that the whole world would have the opportunity To say yes to Jesus, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't say, if you work really, really hard and your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you might squeak on into heaven, right? It doesn't say that. It says, no, if you believe, you will be saved for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess or confess your faith and are saved. And, and you know, here's a cool thought. Do you know salvation? What Jesus did on the cross 2000 years ago, salvation is past, present and future. It, it, it's, it's so good for us to recognize that. My past is under the blood of Jesus because of what he did on the cross. And I'm born again. I'm brand new on the inside. When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But I'm under construction still. Anybody that's been around me would be like, brother, you are. I, I've seen it. But don't worry, I say the same thing about you. Right? We're all under construction. Right? Our salvation, it's, it's happened, it's done legally in heaven. We are saved, but we are also being saved. And there will come the time where we are with Him, face to face (laughs) with a new glorified body. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more of this stuff that we see in the world around us. (laughs) Ah, in His presence to worship Him. And then whatever the Lord has planned for that time, I know it's not gonna be jamming out with harps spreading cream cheese on bagels. Let's let something new try to capture our hearts. And, and doesn't it tell us in scripture? We don't know the half. I'm about saying the scripture right, but it says, we have no clue of what's in store for those who love him. Does somebody get excited about that this morning? Is that so good? Man, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend what the Lord has in store. Oh man, that's, that's good news for us here today. All right, as, as we start to wrap, Philippians 3, verses 10 to 14. And Pastor Walt had this in, in the Amplified. I just thought this was so good in the Amplified. It says, and this, so that I may know Him. So he's sharing all this stuff and he said all this, that I may know Him, that's Christ, experientially becoming more thoroughly acquainted with Him understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely, and in that same way experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active in believers, and that I may share the fellowship of his sufferings by being continually conformed inwardly into his likeness, to his death, dying as he did, so that I may attain to the resurrection." that will raise me from the dead. There's a lot in this, but this is so good, right? Not that I have already obtained it, this goal of being Christ-like, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on so that I may take hold of that perfection for which Christ Jesus took hold of me and made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it My own yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the heavenly prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Wow. Amen. 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 So let's recognize, do we need the power of the resurrection in our world today? And we see here, it it isn't the power of the resurrection and then we know Him, it's we know Him more and then the power of His resurrection, to know Him more. So living out this this, this portion of the Apostles' Creed is to say that I'm going to purpose to live with eternity in mind, all that means, heaven bound and all that I can't even begin to comprehend, that's with heaven. Recognize that there's a hell, that eternity is in the balance, that eternal souls are every day in the balance. Now let me speak one more thing and then, and then we'll pray on this. I wanna lean back to last week. Um, if, if this moves from true to real, how do I become part of the great commission to see the gospel preached everywhere? I wanna encourage you, don't take on a burden that God's not called you to take on. You, you know, what? well, I got to tell everybody yesterday and then, you know, and, and get into striving and, and all of that. But, but here's a thought. If we're not yet praying for those that don't know Christ, let's start by praying for those who don't know Christ. We pray for the harvest, we pray for the loss. we pray that, that God would send laborers across their way, that their hearts would be softened, that they would hear the gospel message, that they would respond to it, right? We start by praying. So if we're not yet doing that, let's make that a commitment this morning. I'll start praying, you know, for those who don't know Christ. How many know you can be talking to somebody and at the same time praying for them, right? You know, just, just Lord, I pray you touch your heart, Lord, show them your love, Lord, let them know, you, you know. And then let's say we're doing that. Well, what's the next step? Well, what if we invite folks out to church to come hear the gospel, to come get around the community of faith? And, and uh, again, I know I talked about this a little bit last week, but I just want to, a week has gone by. Are we more walking out the Great Commission than last week? And so, if we're not yet praying, let's pray, and let's get that as as part of habit of life. And then, if we're praying, let's make a commitment that we'll start inviting folks to come out to church. And I realize we're a you know a little bit of a you know swing from the chandeliers kind of church, right? I think that's okay. We love God. We shout if we want to dance. We dance if we want to you know fall before the Lord. We'll do that. If we you know uh, we we believe in the gifts and moves of the Spirit. Let's not look at that carnally and say, "Well, what if that freaks somebody out?" Hey, we all I may mean, I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of us came here and we had that initial reaction of, "This is not like the churches I've been in." But you want to know what God does? He gets a hold of people's hearts and he starts working in people's hearts. Amen. Amen. So we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're, we're not ashamed of that, that process that some folks will have to go through, uh, you, you know, to, to find Christ. But we're a part of inviting them. We, we all can invite somebody. Then what's the next step that we can take? I'm already doing that. I'm already praying. I'm already inviting folks out to church. And that's why we have those big days and bring invitations and all these different things. Well, then at that point, uh, get comfortable sharing our testimony. So I just, again, I had said that last week. I wanted to follow up one more time. Are we comfortable just being able to share what Christ has done in our life? Because how many know people might try to argue with Scripture. They can't argue your testimony. Here's what I know. Here's what Jesus has done in me. Right? And then then the next step would be uh, being uh, able to communicate the gospel to somebody else. To lay out for them what the gospel says. Here's how somebody comes to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And then after that, the next level, uh, the the whole field is called apologetics, taken from the Greek word, uh, where it it says in Peter to always be ready to give a reason, uh, to give a defense. Uh, Apologetics, it's a Greek word for almost like a lawyer's defense. And it it talks about um, helping disarm the arguments that you got to get past before they'll even give a dialogue about faith a chance. Come on, can you say amen? Now, now hear me, I'm not saying that we should argue and debate. Yeah, I, I, I think in Scripture is pretty clear. Don't get into arguments and debates on things and everything. Um, but what we can do is engage discussions where the world and the fallen world system and strategies of the enemy have built strongholds around people where they're not even willing to give place to the gospel. You know, like, like for instance, um, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, talked about this in Mere Christianity, uh, the the whole liar, lunatic, or Lord conversation. So if we've had somebody who said to us, oh, well, don't, hey, politically correct. Um, I'm with the times. You believe what you believe. You know, Jesus, I'm sure, just a very nice guy, just a nice teacher. You know, the response to that is he couldn't be a nice guy, just a nice guy. Because he said he was God. And C.S. Lewis lays this out so beautifully. So either he lied about who he was, he was crazy and thought he was something that he wasn't, or he's Lord. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. He is God. I mean, then we look through the folks that lived with him for a couple of years all gave their lives for that truth. There's no way. There's no reasonable way. Was he mistaken about who he was? Secular psychologists tell us some of the most psychologically sound principles ever put down on page are things that Jesus said that are captured in the Word of God. It's it's, it's impossible for him to have been mistaken about who he was. If he wasn't a liar, he wasn't a lunatic he was Lord. Amen? Amen? That, that's just one little instance of when, when we, we start to look at some of these things. And of course, you, you know, we, we base it back in Scripture. But my point is, we all stand on Scripture to build our lives on. There's people out there that aren't ready yet to stand on Scripture. And so, so we can talk about some of these things and lay some of these things out. Those that would try to say, you know, um, the resurrection didn't happen. You know, that's another great apologetic thing. Well, let's look at the alternatives. And you, and you walk through and all of them are easy to just, well, that one couldn't have happened that way. That one couldn't have happened that way. Well, then what must have happened? He must have rose from the dead you know, and and getting to know these things. So anyway, uh, just a little commercial for us as we think about how do I help fulfill the Great Commission? Everybody just doing a part and and taking a step forward in those areas. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, as we close today, I just want to simply close with this. Um, Could we close our eyes and bow our heads? And as we, all these things that we looked at here The response to his cross, his death and burial and resurrection is to say yes to him as Lord and Savior and then to live knowing him, to live in relationship with him, to grow in being conformed to his image. And so I just want to invite us. And and we're all in different places here today. So this isn't like a cookie cutter, one size fits all. But you know, Holy Spirit will speak to each of us right where we're at. And I just want to get real practical. um, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, how can it be next week and the week after and the week after we could say, I'm growing in my walk with Christ. I'm growing closer to Him. I'm knowing Him more. So in light of that being the goal, what's one step that you can take in this next week that will be a step closer to him? See, for some that might be, well, I have to start adding this. For others, it'll be, I have to stop this going on in my life. For some, it would be, I have to think more on this and less on that. So Holy Spirit, we just ask here this morning that you would speak to every heart. Lord, that you would just lead us. Just show us in our own lives how we can live closer closer to you. Lord, as we lean in, as we listen, whether it's a instant word now or something that you give us along the way or throughout the day or sometime this week lord i pray that you would just give us that simple that simple leading of your voice where we could take a step of obedience as we walk together with you we thank you for what you did on the cross and just around around the room again uh watching or listening today if there's anybody who does not yet know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray out a prayer of salvation, a prayer of invitation. And if you don't know Him and, and you want to know Him, then I just, in, in your own heart, in your own way, just to say, Lord, this is me. Yes, this is my prayer. I've received this. I'm praying this out as well. Just, 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 you, you engage this prayer. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the work that you did on the cross. We acknowledge that you are the Son of God. We, we acknowledge that you did die on the cross for our sin, for the sin of all the world. We recognize, Jesus, that, that we need forgiveness, that we need our sin forgiven, and we ask you to forgive and wash away all of our sin. And we ask you to be Lord and Savior of our lives. And we pray, By your grace, help us to walk with you each day as you live in our hearts, as you make us brand new here now, where that's our prayer all around this place, listening within the sound of my voice, those who, who have yet to know Jesus as Lord, saying yes to you today, calling you Lord, calling you Savior, Savior, confessing you, renouncing sin in Jesus' name,